This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. And live from my basement, it's the Illinois live streaming podcast on a Wednesday. I'm Patrick Fingston. A fun show uh, for you today. We're going to talk to kind of both sides of the aisle and maybe get their perspectives on on how they can fix maybe some of the weaknesses they have in the state and uh, how maybe we can start to see some some progress either uh, in terms of, of bipartisanship or uh, maybe starting to fix some of our uh, frustrating parts of our politics today. So he's a Republican of data into the uh, results of the 2022 election. Uh, and he'll kind of give us a little idea as to why exactly Republicans lost and what should have been a red wave year uh, and, and what that means for the GOP moving forward. And we'll uh, talk a little bit about the Democratic side as we uh, welcome a former congressman, former adjutant general of the Illinois Army National Guard. He's on News Nation all the time and hosts a podcast, Reflections on the River, former Congressman Bill Enyart, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the Democrats. Uh, Congressman, first of all, thanks for thanks for joining us. I, I do appreciate you taking some time. Let's let's start here. Um, the the plight of the Southern Illinois Democrat. Um, the days of the John Bradleys and Brandon Phelps and, uh, you know, your predecessor in, in, in the house, Jerry Costello, you know, the Democrats seem to have been seemingly wiped away in places in Southern Illinois. As you've seen that trend over the last few years, what do you make of it and why? Well, thanks for having me today, Patrick. Uh, it's great to be with you. And uh, and I uh, I want you to know I, I'm a subscriber to your uh, newsletter and, and read it faithfully. And, and you really have a, a great uh, perspective, okay, nice. on, great perspective nice. on Illinois politics. Uh, and that was a paid, uh, paid uh, <laughs> not a paid advertisement for you. Checks checks in the mail, man. All right, buddy. Uh, yeah. And thanks for, for mentioning my podcast, Reflections from the River. Um, you know, Patrick, it's 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 an interesting situation. Um, you know, the heyday of of uh, uh, federal money and state money flowing into Southern Illinois uh, really uh, it goes back, uh, you know, to the days of Paul Powell and Kenny Gray and and some of those other great uh, moderate Democrats who so well represented uh, large swaths of, of Illinois, but uh, large swaths of Southern Illinois. Um, you know, really what we see here is, in essence, the same thing that's taking place nationwide. And that is you, you have a, a division between the, the urban uh, uh, Democrats and, and, and the uh, rural uh, folks going to the Republicans. And, you know, those, those boil down really, I think, more to, to the social issues, uh, if you will, the, uh, the, the question on abortion, the question on guns, uh, uh, question on uh, uh, 
those those types of of social issues that are so uh, have become such socially divided issues. You know, I mean, a, a suburban soccer mom is, is doesn't like guns by and large. I mean, they are they are not a, a pro gun constituency. Um, and uh, you know, you get your your uh, Southern Illinois uh, uh, farmers and hunters, and and uh, you know, I've, I've I've been duck hunting and goose hunting and. and my entire life. Um, and so you, you've got that, that different, uh, perspective on, on, on those kind of issues. Um, and I think the Republicans uh, have done a much better job of messaging, uh, than the Democrats. Uh, you know, the Democrats uh, tend to over-intellectualize issues, I think, um, in, in, or at least the Washington DC Democrats do. Um, and, you know, as you point out the, the, all those moderate folks, uh, who, John Bradley and, and Brendan Phelps, who, who did so much for for Southern Illinois, uh, just got wiped out. They, they got wiped out with with Donald Trump. Uh, I think Jerry Costello probably retired from Congress because he saw it coming. Uh, particularly when they added in uh, Jefferson County to to his district, and uh, which then I I served for a couple of years. Um, so uh, you know, I think what the Democrats need to do would be. Uh, when you get outside of Metro East, there's not much. And in fact, as you pointed out, Latoya Greenwood uh, uh, no longer even represents East St. Louis. That's now represented by a Republican from Millstock. Well, I think that may have been a one-off. I don't know that he would be able to hold that seat. Uh, but I think the best place for Democrats to start in Southern Illinois would be uh, Jackson County uh, with Carbondale and uh, where you've got the university and the student base and you've got a, a, a little more, uh, a little closer to an urban uh, uh, type value uh, population, uh, and uh, if if they can rest uh, a state rep seat or a senate seat there, um, and you're you're going to have to build a bench. Uh, you know, when you look at these counties, these rural counties uh, throughout Southern Illinois, the Democrats by and large have been wiped out. You know, I mean, we've lost sheriffs and circuit clerks, and you know, you look at Randolph County where where Barb Brown was, uh, was a power forever. And, and those counties uh, now are just completely dominated by, by Republicans. So you got to start by building the bench. What, what do you make of how the polarization uh, of our politics has played into this? Because, you know, I, I've, I've said before, and, and we can probably do a deep dive on this sometime, but I, I've said before that Donald Trump is more of an effect than a cause of where we are, that, that you know you could you can point it back to to Newt Gingrich and you know the the fights about you know the Clintons and and the attacks on George W Bush and and then obviously there was uh the at times very racial anger about Barack Obama i mean the the polarization in our politics isn't new but it's worse than ever but it seems and and i i think you can say the same thing about you know Republicans in in the city or parts of the suburbs that they just they are just written off because they are um, whether it's on a national stage whether it's the Obama the Pelosi the you know now you've got the the AOCs the you know whoever else is is I mean now Joe Biden's being treated like the boogeyman who you know was Uncle Joe for all those years so what what role do you think the the polarization has done and how much worse has it made it. Uh, since you served in Congress, you know, a, a decade ago. Well, you know, Patrick, I, I think you're right. I, I see Trump more as a, a symptom 
uh, of the disease and a cause of the disease. Um, he's a masterful showman, and, and he certainly knows how to, uh, to appeal to his base. Uh, but his base has never really been more than about 35 uh, percent. And, and uh, so he, is, he has done a great job of articulating uh, grievances, some of them legitimate, uh, but some of them vastly overblown uh, by, uh, by his constituency. Uh, the, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, uh, AOC and, and the squad have kind of dropped out of the public view. You know, they, they were the bogeymen, uh, when I ran for Congress, uh, the, uh, Nancy Pelosi, of course, was the bogeyman, uh, but, but then it became AOC. Well, I mean, and in 2012, you know, I was working that campaign just to the North of you in the 13th and I, 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 I made I partially made Nancy Pelosi the boogeyman. I mean, I I I, I get it. I mean, it's it worked. So sure. you know, but but so there's always a bad guy, right? I mean, that's part of it. But it's but it's it seems more that it's 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 that someone is that disagrees with instead of that someone disagrees with you disagrees with you. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely crazy the 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 way that it's gone. Uh, you know, I, I know you worked with Rodney Davis and, and uh, Rodney, uh, Rodney and I got along fine on a personal level. And, and uh, you know, we could uh, uh, chat and we were always on that same American Airlines flight out of St. Louis, uh, uh, the commuter flight into Washington, D.C. Um, but uh, and because we represented really kind of similar districts in that, you know, there were downstate Illinois districts and largely rural uh uh, we had a lot in common, and and uh, so uh, and our constituency was had a lot in common. Um, but you 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 know, I used to say uh, prior to January sixth, I always said, well, you know, things really aren't all that bad. I lived through the sixties. I was in college in the sixties and the seventies, and you know, I saw uh, the draft riots and the racial tension, and you know, we had all the assassinations then, the Kennedys and, and Martin Luther King and, and all of those sorts of things. Uh, and we've not really had a major political figure assassinated here. We certainly had some attempts on, on congressmen's lives and, and uh, on Nancy Pelosi's husband's life. Um, but I never felt like the violence was really at the stage, uh, you know, where they were talking revolution in the 60s. Um, but January 6th kind of, kind of changed that for me. Uh, and uh, the, the fact that there were so many people who were willing to take up arms against police and, and against uh, the very symbols of our government, uh, the very symbols of our democracy. Uh, you know, it's fine to demonstrate. It's fine to carry a placard and, and shout. But it's another thing when you start macing and, and spraying police officers and attacking them. Uh, that's that's just unacceptable. So so that level of violence certainly accelerated. And I, I think, you know, uh, you can count off the causes. Uh, cable news. Uh, people get get so involved in their own ecosystems that they don't. Uh, th- there's no room to listen to other people. I, I see that in my family. You know, I mean, I have cousins who are who are diehard Trump supporters, and I have cousins who are who are uh, uh, solid Democrats. Um, and 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 the two don't. You know, the, the neither side speaks to the other except to scream occasionally. So it's. Uh, you know, we have to be able to understand that this isn't a civil war. Uh, we're not uh, going to be killing each other. Uh, and, and we have to recognize this this country was founded uh, 250 years ago with, with some real division. Slavery among them. 
uh, that uh, would would cause some real frictions and eventually cause a civil war. And truthfully, we're we're still dealing with the echoes of of those problems. As you watched the speaker's battle uh, play out a few weeks ago, now. Um, you know, I'm sure you. I'm sure you met McCarthy, dealt with him a little bit in your in your term in Congress. Uh, you know, even though it wasn't at the the height that he is now. You, you know, you see, and and obviously Mary Miller played a role in this. Who's who's from downstate Illinois, and I, you know, of course worked campaign against her in 2020. Uh, you know, it 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 it's, it, it was really um, it was really baffling to see. You know, the the GOP kind of you know, cannibalize itself from the other side of the street. How did you watch all that play? out? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's really uh, kind of fascinating to watch. Uh, You know, Will Rogers always said, uh, I don't belong to an organized political party. I'm a Democrat. Uh, Today that, that same, uh, you know, you always with, with Ronald Reagan and, 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 the Bushes, the crew that followed, you always had the, you know, we're going to hang together. We're going to stick together. Uh, you know, once the primaries are over, boy, we're going to reform. And, and uh, you don't see that today. You, you, you have that, that very hard right element, uh, Miller among them uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and uh, some of the other folks uh, who, who belong to that element. And they, uh, they simply don't care uh, about policy uh, or, or, or about the, uh, the policies that that uh, most folks care about. You know, they they want they'd rather be uh, uh, just completely uh, out of the mix than than uh, than change their positions, uh, or so it seems. That's at least their public persona. Uh, you know, I think Kevin McCarthy gave up way too much. Uh, to get elected speaker, uh, you know, you, you you have to maintain a position of strength uh, in order to be the leader. And and uh, uh, while Nancy Pelosi really didn't have much more of a margin than than uh, uh, McCarthy does, she certainly managed to get a whole lot of legislation passed in the last two years. Uh, and I don't I don't see uh, McCarthy having that kind of influence. Before we let you go, Congressman, the the title you actually probably prefer is general, uh, since you you served in the uh, both the, the army and the national guard. Uh, you've you've been watching the Ukraine situation closely. Um, there's there's seemingly a bit of pushback uh, domestically on what we should be doing to uh, to arm the Ukrainians. Obviously, there are no boots on the ground. It's, they're not a part of NATO. Um, where does that conflict stand at this point what should we be doing and and maybe quite simply uh because you know it's it, it seems like a far off fight that doesn't matter to a lot of people as they sit here and try and figure out their own lives why should we care well you know every good military leader is a bit of a historian you have to be uh, you know you study the campaigns uh of the past uh, to see where the mistakes were made and, and help guide you in, in, in formulating uh, your plans. Um, Putin uh, is not going to be satisfied until he reestablishes the Russian empire, uh, the old Soviet union, if he, if you will, he won't be satisfied until he has Ukraine. And, and after he's got Ukraine, he's going to want the Baltics and so on. Uh, 
if you look back to the 30s, uh, it, it's, uh, it's Adolf Hitler all over again. I'm going to take this piece and then I'm going to take that piece. And, and, uh, and, and Putin's, uh, Putin is, is no different. Uh, we need to stop this now before it goes any further. You know, had, had the Brits and the French stood up to, uh, in the U.S., stood up to, to Hitler in 1936 or 1937 or 1938, World War II may not have happened. Uh, so we need to, to stand up to Putin now uh, before he reconstitutes uh, the Russian Empire. Um, the, in terms of, of uh, arming Ukraine, uh, I, uh, I, I think that we have really done a pretty doggone good job. You know, I mean, uh, the administration gets beaten up. Oh, you're not doing it too fast. Oh, you're giving them too much. But the truth of the matter is, uh, the Russian army was uh, five times the size of uh, Ukraine's. Uh, the Russian Air Force was 10 times the size of Ukraine. Uh, and uh, Ukraine's about the size of Texas, whereas uh, uh, this, uh, Russia spans, uh, oh, my God, what is it, like 11 time zones. I mean, it's, it's, it's nearly halfway around the world, for crying out loud. So uh, it, 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 it really wasn't an equal fight at all. And uh, the Ukrainians have, have uh, done a, a fantastic job. Uh, they, they have uh, fought the Russian Air Force uh, to a draw. Neither, neither side has air superiority. Uh, Russia grabbed, uh, you know, 20% of, of Ukraine. And, and Ukraine is, has now fought back and, and reconquered uh, over half of what Russia grabbed in February. Uh, the, uh, so I think uh, they have done a great job with what we have given them. Uh, right now, it's a stalemate. Uh, Russia is reconstituting its armed forces. I look for them to make a some kind of mass attack within the next probably 90 days. Uh, the reason for that is they need to attack before uh, all of the armor that's currently pledged to Ukraine from Germany and, and the U.S. and Poland and so on uh, arrives. Uh, once that armor arrives and the Ukrainians are, are kitted out and, and, and can feel those uh, armor brigades with M1s and Leopards and, and uh, Bradleys, uh, they're going to go in and they're going to stomp some, you know what, um, and, and frankly can drive straight through uh, Zaporizhia to the Sea of Azov and, and, and break the Russian supply lines. And the Russians are in deep, deep trouble. So they, they're going to have to attack now before uh, the Ukrainians are fully kitted out. So... NATO is a big question in this, too. I mean, so if if the Russians take Ukraine, you know, you've got Slovakia and Poland, which are right there, which are, are members of NATO. Estonia, Latvia are already members of NATO, which are both on the border of, of Russia and Belarus, which is essentially Russian controlled at this point, or at least crazy Russian sympathizer in, in Belarus for Lord knows I'm not a foreign policy expert, but as I understand it, how bad could this get with the with the potential of intrusion into NATO? Well, if if NATO were to be attacked, uh, Putin knows Putin's fully aware and, and his generals are fully aware that that's a red line, just just an absolute red line. Um, the uh, Article five of the NATO treaty uh says that an attack on one is an attack on all. So whether it would be, which is why Finland and Sweden wanted NATO now. Uh, so an attack on Lithuania or Estonia or Latvia would would uh, would trigger Article 5 uh, and certainly an attack on Poland. Um, the uh, So so I, I really, I, I don't see Russia doing that. Uh, I, 
I think if the Russian generals were ordered to attack a NATO country, they'd probably depose uh, Putin uh, before they'd, they'd execute those orders. You know, we have seen uh, Russia's economy is about the size of Spain's. So it is not a, a major economic power, and, and it's questionable how long it can sustain this kind of war effort. Uh, and, and even with their massive uh, outnumbering of, of Ukraine, they haven't been able to crush Ukraine. So why in the world would they even want to think about attacking NATO? That, that just to me would be off the radar. Former Congressman Bill Enyart, uh, former Adjutant General of the National Guard, pitch your podcast real quick. Uh, uh, pitch your podcast real quick. Oh, my podcast is Reflections from the River. It's on Spotify, Apple, and all the other major podcast providers. You can also get to it from my website, which is www.billenyart.com. Congressman, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for thanks for chatting with us. Hopefully, we can, we, can, we can do it again soon. Great to be with you, Patrick. Rise to politics now, and maybe a little bit more of uh, some insight on why Republicans in Illinois got beaten so badly in November. Our guest is Colin Corbett. He runs a suburban political consulting firm called Core Strategies. Uh, Colin's been doing quite a bit of work on the ground, some studies, polling, etc., to, to maybe find the real reasons why Republicans had such a hard time in November. Disclosure, Colin and I are friends. We've done some campaign work together. Uh, his a firm he's associated with does our polling, et cetera, et cetera. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, Colin, first of all, what prompted you to, instead of just go along with the, the regular narrative, which we'll get to some of the narrative, uh, what prompted you to say, all right, let's get some real numbers behind yeah, I, I think you, you kind of hit on it. It's we all have our preconceived notions. We all have our ideas and they're all driven by our own bias, which is normal. We're human. Um, but we needed actual data. You know, we all agree that that significant change is needed uh, in the Republican Party, especially in the state of Illinois, if we're ever going to win. We've been losing for too dang long. Um, and if you're going to make those kinds of transform transformational changes, it can't be on a whim or on somebody's opinion. You need actual data. And so we went out and got it. We spent, uh, uh, what, three months gathering this data. Um, way too much money, more than I'm willing to admit, to get this information so that all of us could look at it and make fact-based, data-based decisions on, okay, what's happening and what do we need to do to do better? Pre preconceived, preconceived notions, more than anything, people, people will say Republicans lost in November because they scared away moderate suburban women. Is that right? Is that wrong? Yeah, honestly, coming into this, I just assumed that as well. And in fact, I said it in some public forums, and now I have to go and retract that because it's actually not true. Um, the One of the parts of our data was a, a process was looking at turnout, who specifically showed up. And for those who don't know, you'd wonder why the heck are we talking about this three months later? The data takes that long to come out. As a matter of fact, most counties still haven't released it. So we had to find a sampling of counties throughout the state. And even that was a hassle. Um, and so we're just getting access to this data. Uh, and so when we look at the data, when we see what happened, turnout was down across the board, five points across the board turnout was down, which is shocking. Um, but it was down way more amongst women than it was amongst males. So much so that males actually made up 2% more of the vote share this election than they had in the past. Uh, female turnout was especially down in Chicago, in Cook County, a little less in the suburbs, but still down in the suburbs. We all assumed this was 
female turnout and the speaker of the house uh, in Illinois said it was young females that drove this election. It's actually not true. Females uh, um, for whatever reason did not show up in this election, which, which uh, is shocking when you consider the fact that Republicans didn't win. When you look at this electorate and you see that female turnout was down, when you see that minority turnout was significantly down, uh, black turnout was historically low. Hispanic turnout was pretty low. Asian turnout was actually not too bad, just down a little bit. Um, this was a very white electorate. This was a very male electorate. This was a very moderate and even conservative electorate. Everything on paper says Republicans should have had a wave. There was, at least in the demographics that showed up, there was actually a red wave. But those voters who showed up didn't vote Republican. So then what was it? If you if you look at the downstate numbers, you know, downstate's one of the few places where, where turnout was actually up. Uh, and that should have benefited your Darren Bailey's, your Kathy Salvi's, your, your Republican statewide constitutionals who who all got creamed. Is it just a simple matter of demographics that that Republicans have lost the suburbs and, and no matter what downstate can't can't close that gap? Yeah, I mean, first of all, politics is math or, or elections are math, right? It's a certain number of votes. We saw one of the things we were able to do, and only nerds like you and me will ever appreciate this, but in part two, we were I resemble actually, that remark, dude. <laughs> we were actually able to quantify with, with actual numbers what each thing would gain or lose a candidate. I mean, it was, to be honest, it was groundbreaking. I just, I don't think people more than you and me will ever appreciate it. Uh, and so what we saw was um, the Darren Baileys of the world actually did pick up uh, in the election around two points in the election for being that sort of that purist, more conservative candidate. And, and you hear this from some of our conservative candidates that say they will drive increased turnout among conservatives. It's true. Uh, Bailey gained about two points. Salvi more like one to one and a half. Uh, uh, I know our, our nominee for attorney general gained two points. There is a bump for conservative candidates with increased turnout amongst the base. The challenge is it's always a math problem. What you gain on one side, you might lose on another. Uh, and what we saw was in the suburbs, not just because of Bailey, because of Trump, uh, Rauner, January 6th. There's a lot of factors, but demographics that showed up, specifically white males that showed up that always vote Republican didn't this time. And we saw it anecdotally. We run a lot of campaigns. So when you take the data, you then work that into your experience. And a lot of our candidates saw this, where you see males that typically would vote Republican with Democrat signs in their yards. Trump learned this two years ago. Uh, he actually did okay amongst minorities. He did okay amongst women. It, were, it was males uh, that abandoned Trump two years ago in his reelection election. Uh, campaign. We're seeing this now as a trend where actually whites and specifically white suburban males are starting to vote against Republicans when they typically, when they, for a long time, we just assumed we had that vote in the back. DuPage County is a great example of that, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a long time white Republican stronghold. Uh, and, and Darren Bailey, for example, lost it by 50,000 votes. So, so why are those traditionally Republican even if they're swing voters, they, they often go to Republican in, a, in an off year like this. Why did they switch to Democrat or stay home? Yeah, uh, what we saw was that was in part one where we did a, a exit survey of voters and we asked them, what drove your votes? Um, and it was yet another situation where uh, you'd think it portends well for Republicans. Um, it wasn't abortion as the number one vote, number one uh, driver for votes. It was threats to democracy. And that, of course, po points to Trump. That points to January 6th. You saw crime play well. You saw the economy play well. Um, and I think it's a number of factors. This is never one thing. 
politics is never that simple, unfortunately. And when we see in this election, you see that Republicans spent a lot of time talking about issues that didn't play well to suburban voters. Uh, we talked about crime, which was good, but crime was never the issue. It was the economy. Crime's that emotional issue. It gets your attention, just like for Democrats. Abortion is their emotional issue. It gets attention. But then you got to drive that to the issue they care about. Democrats did that well. They drove it to, drove it to threats to democracy. Um, we just stayed on crime. We didn't push it then to the economy. We didn't push it to that we're leaders, that we're people who can be trusted to lead. Uh, and in every step in this process, that's what we saw. Voters in Illinois, voters in other states, it didn't matter, moderate, conservative, liberal, it didn't matter even Republican or Democrat. They wanted leaders who would step up and be the adults in the room and lead. And we used to be the party of that. That's what our party was known for, that when things are going poorly, when there's national security issues, when there's economic issues, you run to Republicans because they they lead well. Uh, and we've lost that. We've become more focused on firebrand and, and Instagram uh, and Facebook and, and you know being right more than actually being the leaders in the room. Uh, and I, I think voters are starting to penalize us for that, that you know, when you trust, you, you want someone who you can trust with the reins of government. Uh, and a lot of our candidates and our party have, have sort of gone away from that. There's a, a gigantic divide inside the Republican Party now. Uh, it's been there for a while, but I think it's probably showing itself more than ever in, in the governance wing and the conservative wing. Uh, you used to maybe call it the, the progressive Edgar wing, but it's even people who are more conservative than than Jim Edgar, even on things like like abortion, that, that, that want to govern more than just seemingly scream about issues or run as far to the right as possible. There's a lot of difference in this state in the voters between Metropolis and Zion. Yep. How how does that how does your party uh, how how does it find a message and find candidates that can appeal through through so many different uh, different layers, different demographics, different ways voters think that that don't just get them knocked knocked off the ballot or you know, knocked out of the voters' minds so quickly, essentially like Darren Bailey did, who was a non-starter for so many independents. How how do you find candidates? What kind of messaging works that gives you all a chance to win in, in a general election? Yeah, I, you know, what I'll say is um, what we found in a lot of this is that we're all a little bit right and we're all a little bit wrong. You know, Jim Edgar is right that we need to go back to being the governing party, but where he's wrong is by making it a fight between conservatives and moderates. It's not an ideological issue. Um, what, what we need is a balance of that issue. You know, when you take an average of numbers, I'm a data guy, and when you take an average of numbers, if you have, um, you know, four numbers that you make an average of and it all equals three and they're all three, that's one note and it averages up to three. But if you have one, one, five, five, that average is also three. Where we're making a mistake here is that in a state as diverse as Illinois, we're and in a party that's a bunch of individuals. I mean, we believe in the power of the individual over that collectivism sort of concept. And yet we demand that every candidate look, act, and think, and talk like us. Um, we don't need a, a thousand Jim Edgars running around. That's just not going to work. Um, we also don't need a thousand Darren Baileys walking around. We need people who fit their communities. As you said, the voters in Zion or Highland Park or Naperville are different than a voter in Springfield 
Springfield or Decatur or or Carbondale or Metropolis. And we need candidates who fit their specific districts. And yes, the average of our party needs to be more mainstream. But that means you're going to have some candidates that are more conservative, some candidates that are more moderate. And we're going to average out as a right of center party. That's what we need. And so as a statewide ticket, we don't need all Darren Bailey's, but we also don't need no Darren Bailey's. It was proven in the numbers that a candidate that, that holds firm to those conservative principles does increase turnout. Think of the power. If we could get an and, not an or, if we could have a Darren Bailey and a Jim Edgar, instead of it being this either or situation where we're going to go down that way or that way. This is the most diverse state in the entire country, assuming that one uh, issue profile is the way to go for the entire state just is completely wrong. We do most of our politics in the suburbs and Lake County is completely different than DuPage County. Yet in a poll, you, you mesh them together. And those two counties are this close to each other. It's just an extremely diverse state. And so what we need to do is find candidates who fit their specific districts. That means that we stop pushing out the Eastern Bloc members because they do fit their districts. Um, and it also means we stop pushing out the Jim Edgars because they fit their districts in their specific areas. It's the the balance or the chorus uh, if you will of the of the many voices that make up our party but who wins statewide but what republican can win statewide that way because i mean if you look at bruce rauner he was you know he he snowed over pat quinn with money in 2014 but by 2018 he had killed himself downstate i I mean almost took red davis and and other you know republicans with him downstate uh because he had pissed off so many conservatives and of course it made himself toxic with with suburbanites too so i don't know that you can even look at rounder as a success what republican can can bridge that divide at this point can a republican bridge that you can if you're a good candidate. This is what we focus on. And now I say we as in my company. Honestly, we're not ideologues. I mean, I have my personal beliefs and I'm, I think I'm right, but so do you. And we probably disagree on some things. Um, really, if you get a good candidate who can communicate, it, it, the voters have shown they'll they'll forgive you if you're a good communicator. We haven't had that. You look in the history of our, of our candidates, we haven't had good candidates in a very long time, especially statewide. I mean, Bruce Rauner was not a great candidate and we learned was not a good governing leader. Um, and so you have to go back a pretty long, long ways before you find candidates who were good communicators. People like Peter Roskam, who won in the suburbs um, because they were good communicators. And it didn't matter that he was very, I mean, he was very conservative, but he won. He beat Tammy Duckworth in one of the biggest races in the country, um, despite being extremely conservative. You know, uh, we learned this. Everyone points to Ronald Reagan as being the purest on, on politics, but actually Reagan learned this lesson the hard way. He lost for president twice in 68 and 72 because he, he was focused more on that purity test. There's a book called The Strategy of Campaigning where he learned the hard way that we have to build coalitions in order to win. And so it's not about this this Washington Post sort of, are you conservative or moderate or liberal? Everyone takes that test, right, to see where they fall on the spectrum. It's not about that. Politics is not 2D like that. We elect people that we like. It's the social media generation. People vote for candidates that they like, even if they disagree with them on some policies. But tell me the last time we ran a likable candidate for office. We, We just haven't done it in a very long time. And so I'd rather have a candidate who who's a good candidate and who fits their district. That's the perfect scenario. But as somebody who has spent an exorbitant amount of time recruiting candidates, I can tell you it's hard to find somebody who checks one of those boxes, let alone two. And so for us right now, our focus is on good candidates. If we can find high quality candidates, they're going to be able to bridge that gap. Darren Bailey didn't lose because he was conservative. I mean this with respect. I like a lot of people who worked on that campaign. Darren Bailey lost because he was a bad candidate, not because he was too conservative. And we skip past that way too often. Colin Corbett. Uh, is from Core Strategies. Uh, you can go to their website. What's your website? CoreStrategies.com. C-O-R-Strategies.com. 
read a lot of his data there and uh, kind of see your post postmortem on uh, what's uh, what what we saw in November. Colin, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Patrick. All right. Thanks to our friend Colin Corbett for his time uh, and talking through their data and um, what they saw is they they looked into uh, why Republicans had uh, such a a, a, a downturn, a, a, a turnaround. What we from what I think a lot of the conventional wisdom showed going into uh, the the November election. You know, I think I, I mean I had I had and it wasn't just Republicans that thought the red wave was going to happen. I mean, I had a a Democratic legislator text me on on election day and say anyone that thinks this is going to be a good day for Democrats is lying to you. Um, and it turned out to be a pretty good day for Democrats, especially in Illinois. Uh, so it, it it's it's really interesting, and, and you should go and read some of that data if you can find it uh, at CoreStrategies.com. And and of course, also appreciate uh, Congressman Bill Enyard's time. Uh, as uh, as we were able to talk to kind of the sub, the plight of the Southern Illinois Democrat and uh, a little bit of uh, some of his expertise too on on some foreign policy and military things as well. So really interesting uh, stuff from them, and, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, drop us a note anytime. Uh, mailbag at theillinois.com. We really appreciate your your thoughts, your comments, uh, your notes to us uh, throughout the week, which help us make uh, this show and our newsletter better. Uh, go subscribe to the D- Illinois newsletter at theillinois.com. We put out a free uh, free email at least three days a week, uh, and uh, you can check that out uh, at theillinois.com. Just click on the right uh, top right of the screen where it says subscribe, and you can put in for the free newsletter. And uh, no cost, no uh, uh, no, uh, no, no risk on your end to, uh, see the stuff that we're putting out. Thanks again, uh, for your support, for, for listening. And, uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the Illinois.